0: Welcome everybody to Impact Church this morning. How are you doing? Everybody excited to be in the house of the Lord, I hope and pray. Welcome to Impact Church. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. Maybe it's your first, second, third, fifth, 20th time, I don't know. And you're searching for a place to belong, a place to get plugged in. I hope and pray the Lord will lead you right here. I'm a little biased, but I know the Lord's doing a great work. And uh, man, I would love for you to be a part of it. Amen. So Big day at Impact Church, getting ready to love on our community uh, with a, a Trunk or Treat event and just bring people in. We're going to share the gospel. Uh, myself and a few other crazy guys that can't sing are going to be breaking stuff and um, bats and bricks and all that and giving the gospel. So if you've never seen that, you want to check that out or just come be a part of it and pray over people and uh, kind of meet people that are here. Man, come on. Come on out. It's an all hands on deck event. And uh, man, we'd love to have you be a part of that. And be a part of what God's doing at Impact Church. So welcome this morning. We're continuing in our sermon series that we've been in now for uh, almost 10 weeks, I believe. It's called Counterculture, Speaking the Truth in Love. And we've been diving into a lot of life's tough issues. Issues that most churches will not speak a peep about. Today's no different. So that being said, we want to get right into it. And seeing on this issue of politics and the role of the church and and believers and what the Bible has to say, how can we speak the truth in love and where should we stand as a follower of Christ? For those of you that have been here or or heard maybe about some of the issues and subjects we've talked about, uh, you could probably imagine that the weight that's been on my shoulders the past two months to stand up here and preach these messages has been unprecedented. I can promise you that. There's nothing easy about any of this that's been going on for two months. But with all that weight that's on my shoulders, it's not my burden. So I just place it right back on Christ because it's his. And that's all I can do. So, uh, and I feel... And in, in a lot of ways, the, the resistance, the opposition, the lies that the enemy speaks in my head. And, and one of those lies was even leading up to this series. is, Man, if you preach all this stuff, you're going to kill the church. Your church is going to go from 500, 600 down to 200. You're going you're to run everybody away. And I want you to know today, there were so many people here, I couldn't hardly find my way to the front. So <laughs> Satan is a liar. So, and, and I believe solely it's because... I'm not giving my opinion up here. I'm preaching God's word and bringing truth and light and not heat to subjects that God's people need to know about. We need to be informed about what God's word says. So here we are today, but that makes it not any easier because I feel like the enemy has tried to stack against me. And in a lot of ways, I feel like um, back in, a, in high school, I played football. And in college, I played football. And in my high school, my senior year, we were playing in a state championship game. And I remember it was, a, it was an all-defensive game, it was pouring rain, it was wet, it was muddy. We were just running the ball, and we had this one drive that we ended up scoring on and winning the, the state championship with. And on this one drive, we ran this one play where I carried the ball I know six times. And the coach kept calling the play, I'm like, coach, they know what we're running. You know what I'm saying? There's like no deception here. And I remember uh, there was a couple third-down conversions, a couple fourth-down conversions I had to make on the same play. And I remember this one time we step up. It was like fourth and four, fourth and five, guys, right? It's not like fourth and inches. And the coach calls the same play. I'm like, oh, Lord. And I remember stepping up and looking at the defense as they get set. And the guard and the tackle pinch in on the hole. The middle linebacker shifts over to this side. The outside linebacker comes in. I'm like, oh, great, you know where it's going, but now you got to stop me, right? So I remember getting down and digging in like I never had, and I know my guys did the same blocking for me. We got the first down and went on to score, but I feel like the enemy's done that in a lot of ways, I feel like he knows where we stand as a church. I feel like he knows where I stand as a, a called follower of Christ. And he knows what's going to come from this pulpit and where this church is going to stand. And I feel like in so many ways he's stacked the forces of evil on the whole. So we need to dig in. Because what I learned in football and what I know spiritually is you can't tiptoe th- tip through the hole and move the football. All right. So we need to dig in spiritually, and instead of, in that football circumstance, going through the hole of my own strength, now we can't do this in our own strength. We need the strength and the power of Almighty God to sustain us, but no less, God did not hand me the football of ministry to tiptoe down the field of ministry. So we're digging in, and we're going through it. So here we go. The church and politics few issues when talked about outside the church and especially inside the church will raise more conflict, arguments, or division than politics. A lot of people getting ready to get together for Thanksgiving and the last thing you want to do is sit beside uncle so-and-so because you know you're going to be talking about politics, right? So man... So here we are today, it's like, why even do this, Brad? It's because the Bible has a lot to say on where a follower of Christ would stand. And like we've said about every issue that we've discussed, Jesus, if he were walking the earth today, I promise you would not be silent. He would not be. He would be teaching his church, teaching his people about where to stand biblically on the issues. So we're going to look at that today. Here we are, all right? So many people would say, you know... You shouldn't speak a word about politics in the church from the pulpit. Not a, not a peep, not a nothing that's wrong, and you should be ashamed of yourself. We need to be silent because the church and politics and need to be completely separate. Other people would say, if you don't stand up, pastor, and take a stand, and we don't take a stand as a church and followers of Christ in the political realm— then we are going to allow the moral compass of our country to continue to shift, and we're going to lose our country as we know it, and it's going to affect our families, communities, and our kids' future. So, here we are. Because I know a lot of people here listening to my voice today have opinions on both sides of that. And they're just waiting to see what comes from my mouth today. (laughs) So, as Christians in the United States, it's easy for us to get caught up in all the fervor and all the politics and all the arguments. It's even tempting to think that legislation politically is the key to solving the moral problems that plague American society. And let me say that again and make sure you got that, that it's the key. I'm not saying it's not important that legislation, but is legislation, political legislation, the key to solving the moral dilemma in our country? That's right. So we got to think about that and put it in perspective. There was a time not too long ago in America where universally most people disapproved of adultery, divorce, homosexuality. They believed sexual promiscuity is absolutely wrong. They regarded obscene language as inappropriate. They saw abortion as unthinkable. And they held public officials to a high moral and ethical standard in this country. There was a time. But nowadays, most of the behavior that society once deemed as immoral and was frowned upon is now defended and supported as a human civil right. So we see a cultural shift that government has supported. Boy, has it changed. A lot of you have seen that change full from 50, 60, 70 years ago depending on how long the Lord has had you here on this earth. So, the strong Christian influence and in the scriptural standards that once shaped our society and our culture now have given way to practical atheism and moral relativism. Relative truth. And we've seen this shift happen. And we've talked about it in so many ways through all our other, all our other messages. This has happened inside of 50, 60 years, and that's, again, where the the eye-opening bulge needs to come, where this shift has taken place so quickly, so that now our government, political leaders, legislative bodies, courts as a whole have basically adopted a distinctly anti-Christian agenda and theme where it did not used to be that way. And it's kind of scary to watch it happen so quickly. We now stand and wipe away a Christian worldview in our political system in favor of political correctness and moral relativism and tolerance and strict separation of church and state. But is that what was intended? And is that what should happen? Where should we stand in the midst of all the chaos is a more important question to ask today as followers of Christ so today what I'm going to do is present God's word in such a way that no matter what side you come here today on whether church needs to be quiet church needs to be right up front we should all leave here today shaking our heads saying yes Lord I hear you I see your word now make sure that my heart and my actions are in alignment with your word please that's, our, that's what we're here for today, okay? So what I'm asking you and me is to cast all our opinions aside, all our thoughts on maybe how we were raised or what our previous favorite pastor so-and-so said that maybe was his opinion outside of the word of God. We need to get rid of all that extraneous noise and hear from God's word today, okay? And then we should also be shaking our head. If you're a follower of Christ and you believe God's word is absolute truth, you should be doing this at the end, Okay? All right, so we're going to bring light and not heat to this subject today. Nobody's going to leave here mad. You may leave here convicted. That's a good thing. But you're not going to leave here mad, all right, because we're going to hear from Jesus today. So all that being said, let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we come here today to magnify you, to lift your name high, to lift your word high, to seek you Lord, with all our heart. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word today. Lord, may nobody hear me or see me, Lord, because I'm not important, Father. But you and your words change lives. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today on a sensitive and very hard topic and issue to discuss. Because we all have preconceived notions, ideas, opinions, upbringings regarding this matter. So, Lord... I pray that we would cast all that aside and come here to seek and hear from you today. Lord, how would you have us live? How would you have us stand? How would you have us speak truth and love right here in politics and the church, in a nation that we've seen go a wrong direction for decades now? So Lord, I pray that you would speak, move, change hearts and lives, and Lord, use us father to be a light that shines for christ that other people will come to know you as well and we give you all the glory in jesus name amen, amen. all right so here we go so our teaching passage for this that's really going to just be a self-explanatory passage that you know and are familiar with is gonna be in Matthew chapter 5. We're gonna read verses 13 through 16. So, this is the, the thought, the, the concept that I want you to, to think about, to, to be your overlying theme when you think of politics and Christianity in the church. This is your kind of theme, if you will, okay? What is our responsibility in terms of politics and our community in the church? Here it is, okay? I'm gonna read it for you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus' words. That'd be a pretty good place to start, wouldn't it? It's all Jesus' words anyway, but these are really his words because they're in red, okay? Yeah, we talked about that before too. Can't separate Jesus from the whole word of God. Here we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Pretty self-explanatory verse. Doesn't take a great theologian to lay that one out, does it? (laughs) Followers of Christ, you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It flavors, right? It heals wounds. What happens when a salt hits a wound? You ever had a wound to put some salt on it? It don't feel good, right? Initially, it hurts. It stings. But if it's left there, it brings healing. Guys, that's what God's called us to be. So, If we're not initially, when we see a wound in America, if there's not initially a sting and we're just trying to sugarcoat everything, we're not being salt, are we? And that's the problem that has seeped into the church and our culture so many times in so many ways. And we've talked about that. So again, we're here to be light. In light, you want to brighten the room so everybody benefits from it. And you don't hide it and put it under a bowl. In other words, you're not silent about it. Okay, it's not just your faith is something in a closet that you keep to yourself so nobody else knows about it. It is a spiritual problem, not a political one, and the only fulfilling, wholesome solution would be the gospel and not partisan politics. But we as followers of Christ and knowers of God's word know that unfortunately not everybody will receive the gospel. In fact, broad's the road that leads to destruction, so a majority of people are going to kick this to the side. So what does that say about what our society is going to look like? You know it, okay? So here we are. In the midst of all this, where do we stand? Where do we go? What we need to know is, real quickly, I'm going to try to fly through this beginning part so we can get through to the meat. But there's really two distinct groups when you look at the church and politics, okay? There's two distinct groups in terms of people who call themselves followers of Christ regarding this issue. There's the separatists that believe, in most part, that it should never be discussed, all right? And then there's the activists that say, It's time to mobilize God's people. Get after it, okay? So here we are, we've got two distinct groups of people. And inside separatists, there's complete separatists, all right, that believe, again, that there is a distinction between what's secular secular and what's sacred. In other words, your faith and your politics and your uh, existence in society are two totally separate things and they need to be separated out completely, okay? And they shouldn't be discussed or intertwined in any way. So they believe faith is a more privatized issue, okay? Inside of this separistic uh, thought is a pluralistic society versus pluralism. At one point, a pluralistic society is what we were, where everyone has a right to their own best ideas. That's the American way. And the the best idea would kind of come to the surface as what was followed, all right? That generally was the rule uh, years ago. Not so much anymore. We're moving toward a pluralism type society where we believe everybody's view is right. And if you're a type of person that say one view is the, is the right way, then you're intolerant and you're a bigot. Okay? So that's the way, unfortunately, we're moving. And, and, and the this, this separistic idea states that basically, who are you to say one person's way is the right way? Okay. I would agree to that wholeheartedly if we were talking about who has the best cheeseburger and who has the best pizza, all right? But when it comes to God's word, there is only one way, okay? And and that's what we have to understand. When we're talking from a biblical perspective, unfortunately, as intolerant as it may sound to a lot of people who don't believe God's word, that's why we believe what we believe, right? It's because this doesn't change. This doesn't shift or sway or adapt or fade away depending on which way the culture wants to take it. Okay? The Republicans may want to take it one way. The Democrats want them to take it one way. It doesn't matter. God's word says what it says, and it is what it is, and it doesn't change. Okay? So we have to be aware that we do not move toward a pluralism, relative truth uh, viewpoint. There's also a functional separatist separatist, all right? That's basically the person that says, man, I'm tired of all this stuff. (laughs) I'm tired of all the arguing, the bickering, because all politicians are just a bunch of liars anyway, and they got their own agendas, and they want money, and this, that, and the other, so my vote doesn't matter. I'm not voting. I want to stay out of it. I don't care. That's a functional separatist, okay? There's a lot of those out there, and especially in the people who call themselves Christians in America. They don't vote. They don't care. They'd rather just stay out of it, okay? So in the midst of all that, what is God gonna to have to say? We're gonna look at it, all right? Activists, political activists within the body of Christ, they believe that government is and can be a tool in the hand of God to help turn culture toward morality and back toward God, all right? They believe we must be therefore very vocal and active in support of issues, laws, candidates, and such, okay? They believe that the... Um, the moral and cultural change all right is, is the primary mandate all right of the church they believe that the church should be really pushing forth for moral and cultural change with the goal toward biblical values and political uh, process that reflects Christ and the Bible okay so inside of that some of those would take it to an extreme and say, and almost feel like and they may not say it, but feel like America has this covenant relationship with God, almost like, like God does with Israel. All right, and that's a dangerous place to be because America is not in a covenant with God. Okay, biblically, it's not. All right, but we know Psalm thirty-three twelve says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord." Okay. How did this country start? On biblical principles, hands down, okay? 100%. You can go back and do all your research. Our founding fathers were very spiritual and incorporated God into the legislative body of this country. Therefore, this nation was founded under God. God blessed it initially. Does that make sense? Therefore, now, last 50, 60 years, what have we done? We've kicked God out of schools. We've kicked God out of courts. We've taken the Ten Commandments away. We've turned away from godly principles. We've legalized sin, magnified sin, lit up the White House according to sin, and now we've turned our back on God. So what do you think God's done? See? Okay? So we have to understand the totality of where we're at to really understand what's going on and then where we should stand. There is no covenant between America and God like there is with God and Israel, okay? But because we were founded and our nation was his, there was initial blessing upon this country, all right? As we see a shift, we will see the hand of God start to be removed and God almost turn our country over to the heart of sin that people desire, Okay, and almost as you see in so many times in Scripture, God gave the nation a king that reflected their own heart. I want you to think about that, okay? But we weren't founded that way. Matter of fact, let me give you some great quotes from some of our founding fathers here. I'm going to give you a one, two, three punch. The first, second, third president of the United States, right? That ought to tell us where things started, okay, and how this thing got itself going. You've all heard George Washington, first president of the United States. There's a quote that some say he may or may not have said that said that it is uh, basically impossible to govern a nation without God in the Bible. Okay, Whether he said that or not, I don't know, but we know that's where he stood through many other quotes he said. Here's another one he said. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favors. First president of the United States of America. Number two, all right, going down to John Adams, okay? He said, we recognize no sovereign but God, no king but Jesus. Oh, no, he didn't. Can you imagine somebody standing up saying that today? Here he is again, John Adams. Our Constitution. We want to talk about the founding document that really governs our nation, that all people set in place as governing bodies are supposed to adhere to. Correct? All right, we understand that about our system. We don't have a king. We don't have a dictator. We're supposed to have people elected by the people for the people to uphold the governing body, the Constitution of the United States. Want to know what it says and how it was founded? Here we go. John Adams has a little quote. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And you want to know why people that have an anti-God agenda are trying to come against it? That's why. He said it from the start. This was made for morality, for Christian principles. And anybody who is not that way, this is not for them. You can see it it's unfortunate but it's from the start was said let's go now to Thomas Jefferson right third president okay what did he say the God who gave us life gave us liberty can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are a gift of God that's a good one two three punch right there isn't it for a nation to get started. But oh, how we've shifted. And you can see kind of where things have gone. And in the midst of that, it is discouraging. But do we get angry? Do we fight? Is our war against flesh and blood? No. No. We have to see the bigger picture, the eternal picture, that there is an enemy that wants to deceive and destroy, all right? So, before we very quickly blurt out our opinions on politics and say we should be quiet or say we should be activists and at the forefront and passing out flyers and supporting candidates and interviewing candidates on stage and doing all this and the other, before we give all our opinions and thoughts, what does the Bible say, all right? That's where we stand. So let's go. We're going to look at four really governing principles, four anchored truths of Scripture when we look at this theme of where and how we should view politics as a church and as individuals, as uh, followers of Christ. All right? Number one, we should recognize and realize there are two kingdoms in conflict. There are two kingdoms in conflict, a.k.a. there is a spiritual battle going on. Okay? That should really simplify what's going on when you realize that. This is a spiritual battle. There are two kingdoms in conflict. Jesus even went through this. We don't have the time to read the passages specifically, but you can go to John chapter 18 and John chapter 19 and see Jesus' interaction in displaying this. One, in in talking with uh, Pilate, and he says that his kingdom is not of this world. And he told him that, and he said, I have come to testify to the truth. And remember, we talked about that at the beginning, where we talked about relative versus moral truth at the beginning of this sermon series, okay? So he said, my kingdom's not of this world. So there's another kingdom. There's a Christ kingdom that he is foremost of and about, okay? First, in chapter 19, you see again, speaking to Pilate, and Jesus wasn't talking, and Pilate says, man, why ain't you speaking, What's the matter, cat got your tongue? (laughs) He said, man, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you or to let you free? What did Jesus say? Basically, bro, you don't have no authority over me (laughs) other than what's been given to you from above. He's speaking to a political leader. So I want us to get that major picture right there as well. You have no authority except what God gives you to do. Okay? Very, very, very important. So we know that there's an eternal spiritual kingdom and a temporal physical kingdom, okay, that are at battle. And our battle's not against flesh and blood. I want to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, because we start thinking battle and war. We start thinking front lines and picket lines and yelling and screaming and, and getting our way and this and the other. That is not what God wants us to do. That is not going to bring light, that's going to bring heat, and it's going to run people away from the truth guaranteed you want to run people away from what you want them to believe you want to run people away from the cross start yelling at them and screaming at them you'll do a great job of it okay so that's not what God wants us to do we do not war and wage war according to the ways of the flesh that's what the flesh and the heart wants to do is get angry mad and yell and scream that is not what we do you want to know what we do Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 and 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Close the book, slam the door. There it is right there. We wage war spiritually. We have to bring light and not heat. If you want to have people really change their heart and mind, you want to see the morality of this country change, again, it's not about screaming at somebody. It's about sharing with them the truth of Christ and letting the truth of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God change that person's heart. And then I promise you, what you desire for them to do immediately that they can't do on their own will happen through the authentic power of Christ in their heart. It will change them. But if we run them away from that and they don't want to see us coming, we've lost our Christian witness and testimony. And we cannot do that, church. We cannot. We cannot. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But if we do it the right way, it'll bring down strongholds. It'll cast down arguments against everything that comes against the knowledge of God and it'll bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's how we fight. In Christ. Number two. Second anchor truth we need to realize, every Christ follower has dual citizenship. So we know there's two kingdoms at war, there's a spiritual battle going on, and as a follower of Christ, if you are an authentic follower of Christ, you have dual citizenship. You, that means you have dual responsibility. You have responsibility to your citizenship in heaven. You can write down Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. You can go look at that, study that, all right, where we are citizens of heaven, and then duh, we know we're a citizen of society correct? So we have dual responsibility, all right? So how do you live as both? Where should your allegiance be? Mm. We know, biblically, our first and primary citizenship is in heaven. We should be eternal-minded, not temporal. The problem is too many people in their voting are temporal-minded. They want to vote according to what's going to make them comfortable, make them happy, and they have no eternal viewpoint on the process. That is wrong, okay? Your first and primary citizenship is in heaven, is eternal, is Christ-minded and Christ-likeness, all right? It comes down to the realization that you and I need to know this. Your and my best life as a Christian will not be lived until this life is over. Do you believe that and know that? Yours and my best life as a Christian will not be lived until we're out of this place. We have to know and believe that. But oh, how we fight and struggle to make it now. Don't we? I've been there. Have you? I want to be comfortable now, God. I want things to go right now. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There you go. Okay? So, there's some biblical perspective there. Last two, I want to look at what are our roles as far as government and the church. Some anchored truths. So number three, Alright, is human governments are ordained by God to restrain evil. Human governments are ordained by God to help restrain evil. Okay? You can go to Romans 13:1 through 7 to catch that, where it says, God allows the government at hand to exist, and they have the power to restrain evil. Okay, that's why they carry the sword. Okay. It's what Romans 13 says, all right? But here's the key. They do not have the power for moral, cultural change. I want you to highlight that. The government does not have the power to induce moral, cultural change. That's the change of people's hearts, okay? Government cannot do that. They can write laws to restrain evil and restrain immorality from being rampant, but they cannot change people's heart. We have to realize that and know that, okay? Number four, the church. What's our role? Matthew 28, baby, plain and simple. The Great Commission, verses 18 through 20, if you want to go back and read that and look at that and study that later. Jesus said, first and foremost, he said, I have all authority in heaven and earth. There you go. Who's in authority? The president, the Congress, the governor? No. Nope. Jesus is in authority, okay? He has all authority over all of heaven and earth, both kingdoms. He's got it. Solid. Not changing. He's not giving up his throne. He's undefeated. He went to the cross. He rose from the grave. Nobody's beaten that, Okay? All authority is given to him. Then what does he tell us to do after he says, hey, don't worry, I'm in control. Now, go therefore and make what? The, don't go and make moral, political change. Don't. No, go make disciples, church. Okay? Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded you. There you go. That's the last part of the Great Commission that the church has left out for way too long. Teaching people what the Word of God says and getting them to align their hearts with what God's truth is and wants for their life. It's the obedience, and too many people look at obedience like legalism. And it's not, it's what it's the Great Commission. We're really good at making church members with a, a, a hyper grace, watered down, floaty, fliffy gospel promoting a Jesus that doesn't really exist, that, that somehow accepts sin and, and, and everything. And, and that's hogwash. And, we, and our churches are full of thousands and thousands of people, so much so that some pastors have to rent basketball arenas to put them all in. But what are you preaching? What are you preaching? Because you're leading them a wrong way. You're giving them and and painting this picture of something that's really not true. And oh, how deceived so many have been by it. So our our church is to make disciples, teaching them to obey. And then what does Jesus say at the end of that? And surely I will be with you to the end of the age. Why would he need to be with us? We're not in Kansas anymore, (laughs) y'all. That's why things are going to get Tough. So take heart, I'm going to be with you till the end. It's not going to be easy. You're going to come against some really bad governments and some really bad legislation, Paul. Peter, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. Buckle up, cupcake. (laughs) Right? But somehow we think that our walk in this world is supposed to be all easy and like it's a playground. When it's on a battlefield... And that's what God's called us to do and realize and to stand for Christ in the midst of it. We need to realize America is not a democracy. A democracy is a a place where it says a majority rules and the minority gets squashed, all right? We're really a republic because in a republic, laws are made by representatives chosen by the people and they must comply with a constitution that specifically protects the rights of the minority from the will of the majority. That's off the internet right there, plain and simple. That's a republic and that's what we are, okay? We don't have dictators, kings, kings, Uh, As such, like we see a lot of times in Scripture, okay? We have the really unique opportunity as Americans to vote for our people who represent us, okay? There's that key for salt and light again. Keep thinking about that as we go through all this. So what's our role as the church, really? We saw it. We've talked about it. To focus on ministry, that the gospel and the kingdom would be advanced. That's our role, okay? Inside of that, we can take on cultural issues and, and, and all this, that and the other, but our focus cannot be just political reform. It cannot be. It has to be the gospel. It has to be furthering God's kingdom. Jesus set that example. He lived in the midst of a corrupt government, all right? Remember all this stuff when Herod killed all the babies when Jesus came and all this? Remember that, okay? Was his first and foremost priority political reform to get Herod out of office? Oh, it was the gospel. It was interacting with people, all right? And it was, it was about God's kingdom and pushing forth. Because this is what Jesus knew, and this is what we should know, and this is what he would tell us, if we are diligent and diligent about the gospel, about the great commission, making disciples, teaching them to obey what the Lord's commanded, in other words, having people come to Christ and infused with the Holy Spirit, God's gonna do his work in their heart from the inside out, and then that cultural, moral change that you desire is gonna happen, okay? But unfortunately, again, we know that Thessalonians tells us in the end there's a great falling away. So should we be looking for a great revival or for things to get worse? Okay. So let's settle down, church. (laughs) And let's be diligent about being Christ followers, showing Christ likeness in a world that we already know is going to go the wrong direction. Get it? Get it? Doesn't mean we shouldn't make a stand. Doesn't mean we shouldn't do what we need to do to be salt and light. We're getting there, okay? But we need, first and foremost, to know our role is the gospel, the Great Commission making disciples, okay? That's the highest calling that we can be on right now, okay? So the role of the church is to exalt Christ, to preach and teach the gospel and the truth of God's word completely and fully. That's why we've been going through all this the past few weeks and talked specifically about human sexuality and homosexuality and adultery and all that kind of stuff. And we've talked about um, uh, abortion and we've looked at all the, the the stuff that wants to divide and the sin that entangles and where Christ wants us to stand and what his truth says. So we preach and teach God's word, all right? And then we pray, all right? And we model Christ-likeness by being salt and light. You talk about pray, a lot of people say, yeah, I pray for our leaders. I pray Psalms 109a, let his days be few and another take his office. Okay, all right, a little out of context there, but... <laughs> someone pray yeah I pray I pray he gets what he deserves for going again no that's not how God wants us to pray that's not it how should we pray first and foremost our heart should go out to the soul of the person who's who may claim to be a Christian because just about every one of them do all right and claim to go to church and be a Christian but they're not dropping the fruits of the Holy Spirit underneath their tree baby you know what I'm saying so we need to pray for their heart that God would drop the scales, help uh, remove the scales from their eyes, that they could see the truth and they would repent and come to a a saving, true, authentic faith of Christ and let the Holy Spirit live through them. Man, you want to change society, that would be a great way to see somebody who was totally polar opposite and doing the work of the devil to come to a saving faith in Christ and change how they stand on every issue. You want to talk about that? That's how we, that's one way we can pray, is pray for their heart, pray for their soul, for they truly, authentically come to know Christ. All right? Then 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There you go. How should we pray? How should we? Oh, Lord, please make this economy better. This gas is too expensive. Please get somebody else in office. It's killing me. Is that how we pray? No. I I feel it, too. You know what I'm saying? But that's not how we pray. We don't pray for our own comfort, our our, our own desires. what, What did it say right here? Why do we pray for our kings or those who are in authority? So we could lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable to God who desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. We pray that our society would be lived out in such a way where the gospel can go forth. Where there's no religious suppression on the gospel. Where we could be free to share. That's how we want to pray. Right? That's it. And unfortunately, we know inside of these godless agendas and a lot of, uh, of, of politicians, eventually it's going to lead to religious suppression. Make no mistake about it. It will happen. It will happen in this country if things continue to go the way they go. There will be religious suppression on what I can say from this pulpit or I get thrown in jail. That will happen if things keep going. Make no mistake. Okay? So, therefore, that's why elections matter and have consequences. Okay? You can say what you want about all the other issues, the ins and outs, and this. We need to know if there's an anti God agenda seen within this, we need to, as a church, be salt and light at the polls. Okay? Because we pray for our government, we pray for the people in authority, and our prayer is the gospel that can still go forth. All right? So, Basically, we're not praying against flesh and blood, against a person. We're praying, therefore, against an enemy behind the scenes who wants to use people to stop the gospel. There you go. We're praying against an enemy who wants to use people, right? It's a spiritual battle, but that spiritual battle is brought to earth and manifested through flesh and blood, okay? All right, and it's played out through people who allow the enemy to use their heart, life, and actions, to give his will, to stop the gospel, to close the churches down but leave the bars open through COVID, right? Remember all that? That's why we didn't close, okay? All right, so we're going to stand for God, all right? We're going to obey authority where it's placed because we don't lose our testimony, right? But at the time we're in a place where it asks us to go against God's word, that's when we have to stand for our primary kingdom and citizenship, not our second, okay? All right, So we pray for the soul. We pray for for the gospel to continue to go forth in God's will. And we pray for the restraining of evil, right? That God, if there's evil in the heart, restrain it. Hold it back. You know, let your will be done on earth, okay? So we focus on biblical matters. Because what God's looking for, Uh, this may shock some people. God's not a Democrat. God is not a Republican. God is not an Independent Well, he is an independent. He's a kingdom independent. Okay? All right? So, therefore, he's not looking for a Republican vote, and he's not looking for a Democratic vote. He's looking for a kingdom vote. Okay? A Christ-centered, eternal perspective, according to the issues, vote. Not who's going to handle Medicare better, who's going to increase or decrease taxes for me, not who's going to increase or decrease the gas prices. That is not kingdom voting. But that, unfortunately, is how many people vote. They ignore the other issues on the biblical side and vote solely for what's going to make them comfortable. And that is not kingdom voting, okay? So we have to, to be very careful on, on, on and prayerful on where and how we stand and what we do, okay? All right? So as children of God, we have the power to make a difference on a lot of issues, okay? And we shouldn't have Money and our comfort as the focus. Because we know there's absolute versus relative truth. And we don't have to go into detail on that, but we know there's absolute truth versus relative truth on human human sexuality, homosexuality, sanctity of marriage, abortion, racial relationships, all the things that are involved, unfortunately, in politics today. Can I just be honest with you? If this was all about economy and all this and the other, we wouldn't have to, to have a message on this. Can I just be straight? If this was all just about taxes and Medicare and, and money and foreign relations with governments and pfft. But at the time where you start to incorporate morality into the issues and legislative laws that unleash immorality in society to go free, that's where we have to take a stand, church. It is. Okay? All right? Because there is absolute truth on this, not relative truth. So we have an obligation then to be informed, first and foremost, biblically. We have to know what God's Word says and where we should stand. That's why we've been going through this series. That's why we've been going through this previous weeks leading up to this. We have to know where the Bible stands. Therefore, we stand there, okay? Then we have to be informed culturally and know where everybody's saying we have to cast out lies because there's a lot of lies out there, right? Right? And we have to be diligent to discern that. And if all you listen to is CNN, you're probably not going to be very good at that. Okay, You have to do your research. You can't just listen to your friends at school. You can't just listen to your friends at work. You have to do your own research and know the truth Culturally, you know the truth biblically, then you know the truth culturally about where people stand, what are the issues, what's going to happen, what is is the world going to look like 5, 10, 15, 50 years down the road if this continues. Now, Lord, how should I place my vote? Okay? We have to be informed. And then, of course, in the midst of all this, we have to model Christ-likeness. Okay? The problem is the church of Jesus Christ has been hijacked by the right and by the left, and now everybody's just fighting, even in the church. Okay? We've been hijacked by an enemy that wants to divide and deceive, and we can't let that happen. All right? We can emphasize uh, social and cultural concerns, but we cannot emphasize them over spiritual concerns. We can't do it. All right? We have to be about the gospel. So, and realize God is in control. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You ever thought that sometimes even when you get a, an evil king or an evil leader or that, that, that um, it's still God's will? You should know that and believe that as a follower of Christ. Because, I, I, I mean, it, we don't want to like say this out loud or really believe this, but, but did you know in the end, if you read Revelations, things don't end well for the United States of America? <laughs> So eventually there has to be a fall, a decline, correct? So therefore God has to, through his will, put people in place, again, to reflect the heart of the nation. That is going to lead them further and further down the proverbial hill, all right? So it it is what it is, guys, all right? That doesn't mean that all hope is lost. That means it's a beautiful time for Christians to stand in the midst of a world going opposite direction. We've seen Paul do that. We just went through the whole book of Philippians and talked about that. Joy in the midst of all those bad circumstances. That's what we should have and how we should have an eternal outlook. So what's our role as individuals, okay, as we close, all right? First and foremost, we've talked about This role for strong political activism and stuff is not the church's responsibility as a whole. It's not. That's not biblical. Christ didn't do it, okay? But we still, as individuals, as Christ lays on our heart, can take the opportunity to teach and share others and present the truth in love so that people can see from a different perspective, a godly perspective, okay? We teach, we preach from up here, all right? That's our command, but not to be a pulpit bully, okay, for political reform and change, all right? That, that, that's deviating a little bit too far from where Christ wants us. We teach and preach on the word, let Christ do his work in people's heart, and then mobilize people. That's where God's mobilized certain people to be a part of government, okay? To, to leave their jobs, to, to join up and, and to be a, a governor or, or part of the, the um, state government or legislature or even go on and run for, for federal uh, office or whatnot. And that's beautiful because we have biblical examples of how God used people like that, right? How Joseph in Egypt and, and we've got Daniel in Babylon, right? And how God used them to be part of a governing body of the culture that would bring God's will on earth. We need more solid followers of Christ in office. Wouldn't it be beautiful to have that? It would. It really would, okay? But we realize there may come a day where both sides... Don't stand biblically on the issues, right? Where you're not just talking about Democrat, Republican, all this stuff. They're both all jacked up on the issues. So then what do you do as a follower of Christ? You can't vote either way, right? When you because this is what we have to do. We have to take the Bible. Y'all remember the, the old school transparencies in school? Like the clear things the teacher would put up on the screen and it would overlay over something or whatever. So we have to take the Bible like a transparency and its absolute truth. And when we see the issues laid in place and where people stand politically on stuff that we're about to vote for, we lay that truth on top. And where that absolute truth lines up with the issues and where we have the opportunity to be salt and light in our vote, that's where we cast. Okay? All right? that that's how we do that. In other words, we vote the Bible. You may have heard that, okay? Because this is what you know and believe 100%. Because nobody would disagree with this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what is the thing that should affect every decision, every direction, and every choice you make in your life? What should it be? The Bible. So why would this be any different? It should not be, okay? You see? Do you see truth now? I hope you do, because you shouldn't be like. I mean, you're, you know, you're holding your seat. No, I don't want it. Look, look. Let God work on your heart. Yes, it should affect your decisions. Everything, okay, that you do is affected by this, okay, all right. Because I mean, we have an opportunity to be salt and light. Here's the problem: way too many people don't vote. They just, especially followers of Christ, just be like, ah. Again, functional separatists ain't going to make no difference. going to happen anyway, okay? All right? But we need to understand Proverbs 29, too, says that when the righteous are in authority, people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan, okay? We've talked about that from the beginning. So we need to know we have an opportunity to be salt and light, guys. But the problem is out of 60 million, quote, uh, followers of Christ in our nation, claimed followers of Christ, only 20 million vote. Only about a third. And about 20% of claimed followers of Christ are not even registered to vote. They haven't even taken the time to go set it up. Okay? We have dual citizenship. That means we have dual responsibility for the kingdom and for the earth that we live in to be salt and light. Very, very clear. Paul even said in Galatians 6.10, all right, it says, therefore, we, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of Christ. We have the opportunity to do good. We have the opportunity to be salt and light. We may be overshadowed in this world that we live in, but it still doesn't take away your chance to do what God's called you to do. Okay? As we close up completely, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever... Do, do all to the glory of God. What did it say? Do all, whatever you do. You say it said eat or drink at first, but well, eat or drink has nothing to do with, with politics, Brad. What are you talking about? You'd be right if that's all it said. But then what did it say after that? Whatever you do, do all. A double, what's all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. Do all to the glory of God. You mean even vote? I should be giving God glory in how I vote? You crazy. Nope. No. Is the way you just cast your vote bringing God glory or not? You should ask yourself that. Colossians 3.17, if Corinthians ain't enough, says the same thing. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We have a responsibility, a biblical responsibility, to be salt and light on this earth, to honor God in everything we do, and even yes, in how we cast a vote. Yes. So now we need to get on our knees and ask God and say, well, Lord, but my family's always been for this party, so I gotta, I'm a to this party. Shouldn't be. Your first and primary citizenship, remember, is in heaven. We're allegiant to them first. But Brad, I, I need to vote the, the way my great grandma always voted. No, you don't. Not if it goes against Christ and his word now. There may have been a day when your great-grandma-ma was voting, and the morality issues weren't on the docket like they were today. Okay? So we need to realize the shift and the change in our culture that now we need to look at and see things differently than maybe was seen 80 years ago, okay? 70 years ago. It's different, okay? So how do, we, how do we do that? Do we cast our vote based on somebody's gender or skin color? No. God doesn't look on the outside. Man looks on the outside. God looks where? On the inside, okay? Okay? It's great to have ethnic minorities and people of different gender in office. That's beautiful. But we do not cast our vote solely based on ethnicity or gender. We base it on the Bible and God's word and who lines up with that. The inside, okay? We could go on and on and on about some people say, well, how about personality, Brad? Some people just don't have great personality and they don't have a great uh, moral past and history and whatnot. And, And I would say, well, maybe neither do you. And do people still have to accept you? I mean, I don't know. I mean, when you go to the doctor and and you want you got to have a surgery and and they said there's only one doctor in the state that can do this surgery and you go there and he has a horrible bedside manner, he's cussing and he don't talk to you and everything else and be like Psh, I don't I ain't gonna get you to do that. We gonna do die. You see, in so many ways, we overlook certain aspects of people's personality and their past, and we expect that to be the case, but we somehow don't do that here. And Satan would have us do that so that, again, his agenda for the years to come would go forth and would thwart the gospel and religious suppression would come upon this nation. That's his goal, an anti-God agenda. So I agree, some people aren't very moral and and they aren't very ethical. And if that's the case and you and your conscience can't place a vote for that person based on that, then definitely don't go to the other person that is very anti-God, anti-biblical as a result. Write somebody's name in. Write your dog's name in if you have to. Write my name in. I'll get them straight. Please don't do that. Because where I stand on Jesus and the word, I'd be assassinated in a month. But guys, I hope in the midst of all this, we know and we see truth Do people first and foremost know you by your walk with God or by your political stance? Are you exhibiting truth and love? Or do they run from you because of the aggression that you've taken? Let's get it right. Or have you just been totally silent and you suppressing it when the Bible says, don't put that light under a bowl, baby. Take it off and let it shine. It's plain and simple, okay? But with the truth and love, and in a way that keeps our testimony amongst people that we want to lead to Christ, okay? Because God's not calling us to wage war on a culture to seek to transform a country. He's not. He's asking us to wage a spiritual battle against an enemy behind the scenes who's trying to deceive and destroy and kill. So, oh, Lord, help us to be salt and light.